hi, and welcome to SourceCast Episode Zero. I'm your host, JD. And I'm Jeremy. And this show is more going to be, well, we wanted a new a good Linux podcast, because there are very few of them out there, and most of the ones who are out there are either extremely evangelical towards one distro or one group of people, Ugh, radio. Or they involve John O'Bacon, or in some cases, both. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, or they're like old school Slackware whores who have been using <laughs> Linux since 1993, and you really don't learn anything. They're just, they're bullshitting the entire time. We're going to try and be, you know, we're going to try and make this fun, have some humor, but also... We're going to review distros on multiple levels. Real, honest, practical reviews, not the sort of OS news and distro watch crap where it's a bunch of screenshots and, oh, look, here's a feature that nobody really used, but it's a great to be little checkbox on the final ship product. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The ratings we're going to try and give distros that we review are going to be... Uh, first, the granny rating. The ease of installation, ease of basically getting a working distro, codecs, non-free software like Skype and Flash, stuff like that, and the default theme. Because your grandma isn't going to want to go in and change the theme and go to Gnome Look and find a good theme and stuff like that. Our second is going to be for the power users. Basically, is it customizable and flexible? And what's the ease of compiling stuff? Because you will have to compile stuff. That's, you know, inevitable. And getting bleeding-edge software. The next one is the annoyance factor. This one... Yeah, there are going to be a bunch of distros that get high <laughs> ratings on this because basically we don't want it to be too annoying and where the distro gets so much in the way of either of the first two. My favorite like, example know. on this is if you go and try to install support to playback MP3s like, say, most of the planet wants, and Richard Stallman yeah. appears on your desktop with a tambourine singing Kumbaya and gives you a 30-minute dissertation on why you are evil for installing MP3 support. That would be highly annoying. Yes. Also, you know, stupid design decisions. Like, you know, Fedora 9, which we might review in the future, perhaps not, deciding to go with a development version of Xorg that no binary driver supported for over a month after Fedora final release. <laughs> Very intelligent Fedora guys. Go you. Uh, next is the software selection. How up to date are the repos and how big are they? Yes, after three months of using the distro, are you four or five versions behind on Firefox with no hope of upgrading unless you go and do it yourself? Yeah. Which, if you've ever compiled Firefox by hand, it's, well, no fun. Uh, next is going to be community support. Basically, we're going to go around to their forums and their IRC and 
if we have any problems, we're going to ask for questions and we're going to lurk in there a little bit to see how, you know, problems get handled. One of the reasons I kind of like Ubuntu, even though Ubuntu sucks, but we'll discuss more of that next episode, um, is because it's got such a vast community that at the Ubuntu forums, for example, you don't even have to make a new post. 90% of the time, your problem's already been solved, asked and solved by people, so all you have to do is search. And finally, performance. Basically, we're going to be using Geekbench just to do a quick performance test of the distro, and, you know, if it's if it makes our Pentium 4s run like, you know, Celerons, it'll lose some points for that. <laughs> yeah, the, the number one impact on that is probably going to end up being bloat more than, you know, something like Gen 2 or Arch where you can compile and tweak your C flags and so on and so forth. Ubuntu, you know, compared to Debian, and also it'll give you a good comparison of, hey, Ubuntu got a much lower score than Debian. I wonder why that is, and, you know, you can look into that more if you feel like it. Uh, what we're going to be discussing this episode is we've got a bit of news to cover. In the past week, there's been some huge news in the open source community, and we wanted to explain, basically, who we are and, you know, what we've done with Linux. You want to start, Jeremy? Sure. Um, I started with Linux because uh, way back around Christmas of 2000, I got a new computer exactly how I wanted it from Compaq. Hey, don't laugh. Compaq wasn't that bad back then. But unfortunately, pretty good. it came preloaded with Windows Millennium Edition. Oh, God. And so it didn't take me very long to say, this is a load of shit. There has to be something, anything out there better than this. And so I tried Mandrake at the time. I think it was 7.0, and this was mid to late, um, closer to mid, kernel 2.4. And Mandrake did okay. Um, it had a nice control panel, which sort of eased me into things. And uh, the hardware support was really the biggest problem. My Autogy card had a terrible time working. Um, video support, you know, I could... I can. It was fine, but 3D acceleration was pretty hopeless, <laughs> and um, and it had the additional problem of every six months there was a new release, and if you stuck around on the old one, you would quickly find things would start breaking, and you'd have to start going to rpmfind.net and installing manually, and it, it would just get really messy. Yeah, and also back in those days, there wasn't anything super easy like nice repos and nice package managers. If you wanted to upgrade, you either did a reformat and reinstall, or you tried manually getting all the RPMs, which, or, you know, <laughs> downloading that craziness. And, uh, I, ended, I stuck it out with Mandrake all the way until I, I believe it was 10.2 or so. And at the time, I bought a Hapog PVR250 with the hopes of uh, using MythTV on my desktop system. And because uh, I, 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 I really researched hard to make sure it was a card that would work, and everybody said, "Yeah, yeah, it'll work fine. Yeah. It's great. It'll it's it's exactly what you want." 
Well, what they didn't tell me was that in Mandrake, the installation and setup guide for Myth TV was about six or seven solid pages of commands and crap you would have to do. And of course, every six months, you would have to turn around and do it again when Mandrake released another release. And that got really old really, really fast. Um, <laughs> and so I said, you know, there's got to be a better way. And so I just... In a, in a fury, ran through distros trying them to see if there was a better way. I, I found it was much the same at the time with Fedora. I want to say back then it was, I was around the time of Mandrake 10, right? You know, one of the last few releases before they changed to Mandriva. And I want to say it was like yeah. Fedora Core 4, maybe 5 back then. Something close in there. I, I tried that. Um, uh, Ubuntu wasn't even really known back then. It may not have even existed. Yeah. Um, yeah. I tried... Uh, all the major distros you can think of, um, I tried... Um, pretty sure CentOS. Um, basically, if it was in the top ten on DistroWatch, I gave it a try and, and found to be... Because um, basically, at the time, all you had was Red Hat variants and Debian variants. And ones yep. that weren't really that big of a variant. And all of them had the same problems uh, regarding Myth TV. They, they might not anymore, but I ended up moving to Gen 2. And, and the sort of law of using Gen 2 is the first time you install it, it's going to kick your ass and you're going to screw up mightily. And you're going to have to start back over. And I did. And it ended up taking me probably a full week before I had everything installed and set up decently well. And uh, I'm actually still running that install from several years ago today uh, on my desktop, and I use it on all the other machines I have now, all my servers, my laptops, and so on. And I found that with Gen 2, at least, I would have to set it up the first time, and Gen 2 would actually do most of the hard work for me through use flags. All I really had to do was tell uh, was was set up a database which was you know you, that's sort of an automated process it's like one command and it's done and set up the back end with the database password credentials um, go create an account at zap to it to get TV listings and tell um, uh, tell Lyric which dev device was my remote control and that was it um, uh, that's like that's like a quarter of a page compared to how it used to be, <laughs> and um, I, f- I was like, "Oh, oh, that, this is this is it. This is game over. Why, why, why bother going through all the pain?" And so I've stuck exactly. with that. And uh, I, what I really like about it are um, it's got a real palpable speed increase, and that doesn't come from compiling with "Oh my God, go faster" or fun roll loops or you know, any other stupid C flag that anybody who develops GCC would laugh at you yeah. for even mentioning. Well, like 09 or anything crazy <laughs> like that. Exactly. Um, but that's, I think that's pretty much mostly from the fact that if you compile your own kernel, you're only throwing in there what you absolutely want. At least if right. you're at least if you're man enough not to use Gen Kernel, which pretty much anybody who uses Gen two will say, Why the hell did you use Gen Kernel? Yeah. Um, and like for example, my laptop is a is an old ThinkPad T twenty one. It's like a mobile P three eight hundred with two hundred fifty six megs of RAM, and Kubuntu on that thing will be just maddeningly slow. I'll yank my hair out, 
but Gen yeah. 2 won it. Don't with- try and run... Yeah, don't try and run Ubuntu or any Ubuntu variant on anything slower than a 1 gigahertz CPU, even if you're running command line only. But yeah, Gen 2, even with a full KDE, I found to be much, much more usable, actually fairly responsive. And I even got things working that I never could in the binary distros on that ThinkPad. I got uh, full 3D acceleration on that pathetic GPU on that old ThinkPad, a, a Pro Savage iX, like 8 megabytes of video RAM, AGP2X, but I can play Tux Race from that thing in Gen 2. So yeah, I, I've stuck with Gen 2 then. Um, I would say what I really like about it is the speed and uh, the fact that I never, ever have to reinstall again. I know a couple of distros have since gone to rolling releases, and we'll have to see if they're able to sway me away from Gen 2, because uh, while I love Gen 2, I'm, I'm no evangelist. Um, I think there's probably a better solution out there somewhere, if not now, than in the future on the desktop. And you hate spending 48 hours compiling OpenOffice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, if, if anybody out there trying Gen 2, do not bother trying to compile OpenOffice. It will give you gray hair. Um, on my desktop, which is a overclocked... Pentium 4 at 3 and a third gigahertz with 2 gigs of RAM, uh, 36 hours later, it was still compiling, and the temp folder for the compile was up to almost 5 gigs. I'm like, good God, how is that even possible? Yeah, I mean, that's just illogical. In that time span, I could compile KDE meta, which is everything KDE related, twice over. But yeah, I, there's there's probably a better solution out there for the desktop. If not now, they're probably in the future. And I, I'm hoping we'll find something out there in the process of reviewing distros out there. But I'll probably have a much harder time being swayed from Gen 2 on the server where I found it just... It, it, having that sort of extreme speed comes in so much handy in a production environment, especially if, if you get dug, that extra 15, 10, 15, 20% performance increase can be the difference between people mirroring your site and people still able to load it. Exactly. I mean, you need that customization sometimes, like, for different stuff. You don't, you know, for example, with, uh, uh, crap, WordPress, if you're using PostgreSQL, you don't really need MySQL support, so it's better to compile that out and speed it up a little bit. Yeah, and one of the first things that anybody who uses Apache and MySQL in a high-demand production environment will tell you is, you know, you know, when you say, hey, how do I increase the speed? They're first going to say, well, did you throw away your distro maintainer's binary and compile it for yourself for your needs? Mm-hmm. And if you try and go do that on most binary distros, it's 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 abs- I'd rather have a root canal. It's awful because I mean, yeah. if you look at the just the compile time config options for Apache, would like scroll the terminal down three pages. It's crazy. And Gentoo makes it just ridiculously easy, a child's play, to uh, roll your own compiled versions of any major app. Use flags are so incredibly handy when it comes to that. And that's pretty much where I'm at today. Um, I've, I'm, I'll go ahead and say that I'm a big KDE fan. I like QT. I'm, I'm sort of the exact opposite of you. I, I have a theory that anything made in GTK will suck, although... I will have to give you Audacious, which you showed me, because I've been missing my classic Winamp in Linux for oh so long, 
And now that Audacious finally has uh, double size working perfectly, I am no longer using Omrock. Audacious is now the only GTK app I still use now that I dumped Firefox for Opera. I thought you still used Deluge for Torrenting. Uh, okay, yes. Okay, two. You got me on two. But uh, De- Deluge is, is so... I may try KTorrent, but Deluge is, even if it is GTK, is got to be, it's like five, ten times more lightweight than Azurius, but that's Java oh, for you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, as I like to say, saying Java is good because it's cross-platform is like saying anal sex is good because it's cross-gender. <laughs> just, that argument does not work. <laughs> okay, so where did you get a start? Uh, well... I got my start in around 1999. I started playing with distros. Back then, pretty much the only two reasonably viable options were SUSE, or SUSE, however the hell you pronounce it, uh, uh, Red Hat, and early, early versions of Mandrake. Basically, I hated it. I thought... You know, I played with it. I thought it was cool because you know Linux is better than Windows. But with Lilo, I broke Lilo a few times, and I was like, "Shit, broke it. Got to reformat." You know, now I know you can just chroot in into a Grub install. But back then, I didn't. You know, back then I only knew about the two difficult editors, which are Vi and Emacs, and <laughs> coming from you know, Windows and Notepad and all those easy things. VI and Emacs were a little bit too difficult. That's probably an understatement, especially for Emacs. Yes. And so, you know, also there was no package management. You were limited to what came on the CD. So I basically, like I said, hated them, stopped using Linux for for about two years. Then a friend of mine turned me on to Debian. Basically, I I played with it. You know, he told me about Debian. He told me about K3B, which is the greatest disk-burning app in the history of anything. He told me about Nano. And I instantly started to love Debian, and I started to love Linux. And about... Probably about six months after I started with Debian, I became a Debian developer. And, you know, I, I was still using Windows at that time, mainly. I was just using Debian for development stuff and for fun. Then, uh, one day in uh, December of 07, yeah, I decided to try Windows Vista. <laughs> For about a week, I thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. After that week, yeah, I thought it was the worst OS any manufacturer has ever produced, including Sco. Worse than ME? Worse than ME. Impressive. Because the problem with ME is it was crashy and it had, like, no features, whereas Vista was crashy it had a crap ton of features that were all useless and it was very 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 slow which version of Vista did you get home super ultimate leap man edition 
Yeah, I I I pirated. Ah, <laughs> super leak guy. I am awesome edition. The internet, all the piracy, none of the scurvy. I hated it. So basically, I decided to go to Debian. I went with Debian for six months, and then I started to get really upset at the Debian community because I started noticing that I didn't notice in my you know five years of being a Debian developer a bunch of infighting because I was watching closer than ever because at this point I was using it on my main desktop. So I did the stupid thing and I went to Ubuntu <laughs> for about six months for about another six months. I pretty much did not enjoy Ubuntu I'll put it that way. With Ubuntu not only is there a bunch of infighting but the devs have a problem with their brains being missing. <laughs> so now I am back to Debian. I am back as a Debian developer. And that's pretty much my story. And uh, just to end it, you know, I'm a gnome guy. I think I don't think GTK is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I kind of think it's better than QT because GTK is written in C. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Uh, at what point did you leave Windows entirely? I mean, did you, did you keep a dual boot around, uh, keep you a safe comfort? I, I kept, uh, though I did dump ME entirely, I didn't dump Windows. Uh, at that point, XP was around, and I kept an XP dual boot. And I kept that all the way up until probably two weeks after I installed Gen 2 and I said, and, and at that point I was like, I haven't touched Windows since I installed this and then I made that sort of great leap of faith to go ahead and go all the way. I didn't dump um, well, technically I still haven't dumped Windows because I'm forced to use it at work and it's on my gaming box at home but I stopped using Windows for like 95% of what I do in January of 2007. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much my story. And as I said in the beginning of the show, you know, I decided to start this podcast with Jeremy because I think there is a quite serious lack of Linux media. I mean, you know, there are hundreds of podcasts like MacBreak and, you know, typical Mac user podcast and all these podcasts covering Mac and like Windows Weekly and I'm sure there are others covering Windows but really (laughs) I can only think of two shows covering Linux and both of those shows mostly cover are centralized towards beginners one's called Going Linux obviously center towards beginners and the other is the Linux Action Show which is a very fun show but they don't cover many distros outside of the typical Ubuntu Fedora OpenSUSE yeah there's a couple others out there I subscribe to but they're they're not really all about distros they tend to be more about professionals in the industry you know interviews with you know um, people from Sun and, and people from Big Blue talking about you know technologies they're delivering the sort of thing you really don't right. care about if you're a desktop Linux user, right? And like you know the 
word or the MySQL people talking about how great MySQL is. Sure, it's great. You know, we all use it on our web servers. But why do I need to watch an interview with the guy who created it who's not telling me anything I didn't know? Yeah, if anything, you need to watch and, and pray that Sun just doesn't screw it up. And that needs to be the sum total of your watching for MySQL. Well, I'll start off. This was going to be a news story, but right now it's the perfect time to say it because it involves <laughs> MySQL. MySQL has basically failed in my book, and I am about to, in the near future, migrate everything I have that runs on MySQL to PostgreSQL. Uh, what, what was the Postgres. big problem that tipped you? Well, um, to the people who don't know, Launchpad is Ubuntu's bug tracker, source code, center, kind of home of everything. MySQL moved their SVN and their bug tracker over to Launchpad. I just feel like that is a massive failure because since the launch, since Launchpad itself is not open source, they're depending on Ubuntu for, you know, like I said, hosting their SVN and hosting their bug tracker, mm. where Ubuntu, you know, like I said, we'll talk about next episode because next episode is the Ubuntu review, is possibly the worst distro and the stupidest developers on the planet. <laughs> I probably won't bash it as hard as you, but I do have some beefs to take up with Ubuntu as well. But yeah, that's a that's a real head-scratching decision. You have to wonder if behind the scenes there wasn't some sort of exchange taking place. You maybe, maybe Canonical gets the only prepared binary for a future feature or something. Or That's really... Possibly. I mean, I mean that's a head-scratcher. Canonical... Yeah. Canonical does that a lot where, like, they get, for example, um, binary, free binaries of crossover office are in the Ubuntu partner repository, but for everybody else, you gotta pay. Uh, also, Parallels. Parallels is like $30 on Mac, Windows, and every distro but Ubuntu. I mean, they, it's not like they have a shortage of options out there. There's SourceForge, there's FreshMeet, there's Google Code. There's there's probably also, a half I mean, dozen major, major open source sort of developer areas. Yeah. Also, I mean, the other thing is they're owned by Sun. I think Sun can afford to rack a dedicated server for them. <laughs> that is like a copy of <laughs> Apache, Subversion, and like Bugzilla on. Laughably, that is Sun's entire bottom line, is server enterprise solutions. <laughs> yeah. So why could they not, you know, spend a hundred bucks a month, which is nothing for a huge company like Sun, to rack a dedicate, rack a over, you know, MySQL? Makes no sense. But that's what they decide to do, so, you know, hopefully they will... Some will start to learn when people start moving away from VirtualBox because it will start getting worse. MySQL because it will quickly start getting worse. You know. I hope not for VirtualBox. That's one of the few apps that I really, really love in Linux. Well, what I think people are going to do if, you know, it starts to go to crap is I think people will take, you know, 1.5 and fork it. Because really, I mean, that's, you know... That's when they were still 
working with Innotech and everything was nice and happy and open. Okay, so on to some of the big news that has happened recently. I guess we'll start with the one that's that just finished up recently that's all over the news. Uh, Firefox 3 has been released, and I'll go ahead and get your take on it before I sour the whole deal. <laughs> well, I know... I'll say this right off the bat because, yeah, you told me about this earlier. Uh, yeah, you're an Alpha fanboy, but I've been using Firefox 3 since before Beta 1, since like Alpha 8, and I'm in love. It's never crashed once. The RAM usage is probably about half of what Firefox 2's RAM usage is, and loading web pages and rendering stuff is blazingly fast. Well, uh, I would say probably a month or two ago, um, I got tired of Firefox 2 sodomizing my computers for RAM. It got to the point where if I was using Firefox on my old ThinkPad laptop, even if I was running nothing else, it would be exhausting RAM and and swapping out heavily. And so I tried Opera 9.5 at the time. It was like Beta 1 or something like that. I was like, oh, there's there's no question. It, it was how I expected Firefox 2 to have been, and it had it had little extra things that you could tell that 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 Opera eats their own dog meat. Little extra features that are really handy for somebody who's browsing a lot, you know, like the option to make it a background tab or just a new tab. And I know you can add all these features in with plugins in Firefox, but then you only make the memory problem much, much worse. <laughs> right, but like I said, in Firefox 3, the memory pro- problem is almost non-existent to the point where it's almost as good as Opera for RAM. And the other thing that uh, that I like about Opera, oddly enough, and I haven't, I haven't used a browser for email and browsing since since way back, since before Firefox didn't exist, and all you really had in Linux was was Opera with the banner ads, or or maybe uh, late Netscape and early Mozilla. And I ended up using early Mozilla. I actually love Opera's built-in email client. It's lightweight, but it does such a good job with multiple accounts that I've sort of fallen in love with it. I'll be honest. I have two problems with Opera currently. One. It's a QT app, which doesn't bother me. <laughs> well, it bothers me a little bit, but it doesn't bother me much. The problem with it is, it's a QT app that looks like shit. K3B, <laughs> I'm happy with K3B's look under GNOME. I'm happy with the look of Copied under GNOME. I'm happy with the look of uh, Conqueror under GNOME. And this is all KD3 stuff. I don't run any QT4 stuff except for Skype. Uh,. But for some reason, Appa looks like shit under GTK. I don't know what it is. <laughs> this is one of the reasons this is going to be a good podcast. You you are a you live up in the northeast United States, I'm down in the southeast. You're a big GNOME fan, I'm a big KDE fan. You like most everything GTK, I like most everything QT. So generally speaking, if we both like it, it's great, and if we both hate it, it's a total piece of shit. And the other problem I have with Opera is um, Adblock Plus spoils me simply because 
I know Opera can do ad blocking. You have to edit that INI file in your profile. Mm-hmm. But the problem with Opera's ad blocking is um, it's not auto updating. Yeah, there's no there's no real subscription list. The, the only thing you have if you have an ad that slips by the INI list that I found um, is probably 99% effective. But for something that slips by, your 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 resort is to right click on the page and go to something called block content. And it sort of has this overlay of the whole screen that fades everything out except for flashes, a flash, um, and iframes and images, and it lets you click on them to block them out. But I, I think somewhere out there, I wonder if there isn't a third-party plug-in. I mean, worst-case scenario, um, the I and I block list are fairly consistent. I'm sure you could bodge up a script out there and throw it in as a cron job that would just keep yeah, with keep fetching. Yeah, exactly. But my thought is an arson binary is very small. It's maybe a hundred k, and you know they ship binary if that, and they ship binaries. So, uh, I mean, I know hundred. I know why Opera doesn't want to include AdBlock by default. They don't want to get you know. For the same reasons Firefox doesn't, they don't want to be frowned upon by you know people like Google, who ultimately right. fund their efforts through ad-related you know through right. through that little search box that has ads on the results, and right. they don't or want to go piss them off. Like, or people who like you know do their video podcasts and get the money to support themselves through the Google ads, and you're not watching them, so you're not supporting them. Exactly. Or you're not looking at the Google ads. But still, I mean, you know, at least it should be available as a plugin or as something like that that uses something like rsync to check and update stuff automatically because really, yes, it blocks them well, it blocks them well now, but you have to remember like once a month to go in and say, hey, time to update my block list. Exactly. I just don't want to do that. I want things to just work. I totally agree there. That's that's sort of the only thing I don't like about Opera right now. I wish there was a better solution that didn't require me to go bash scripting. You know, and that's just not even a f- fun to do. It's just a pain in the ass. <laughs> and we've sort of, in a secondary nature, covered one of the other big announcements, which is Opera 9.5 itself, which I absolutely love. Um, i got to say, I played with... You know, I keep playing with Opera. I currently have it installed on my main machine. And Opera 9.5 is a lot better than 9.0. Yes, much, much better. Um, and I'm glad they fixed a lot of the issues with the betas. Um, you could tell they were definitely betas. It wasn't like Firefox 3 release candidates where you could say, you know, hey, this is this is pretty much 99% there. Uh, the betas had real issues. Um, at times, the rendering performance would drop by double. Uh, with wow. some releases, um, Facebook would stop working in some releases. <laughs> that would be definitely bad for market share in a browser. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm glad to see that by the time they had the final release, they cleaned all that up. I think most of the benchmarks I've seen at places like Ars Technica have have Opera by far the fastest, and Firefox 3, surprisingly, pretty close behind Opera. Now, I have a question for you and for the listeners. Um, what do you all think, you know, of WebKit? WebKit, WebKit. 
WebKit is Apple's uh, rendering yeah, yeah. engine. Like, uh, Opera 9.5 has Kestrel, or whatever the hell they're calling it. <laughs> uh, Firefox has Gecko 1.9 for Firefox 3. You know, WebKit is Apple's, and supposedly, you know, like right now, uh, Conqueror coming with KDE 4.1 uses WebKit by default. Uh, QT 4.4 has WebKit in the QT framework. So, you know, anything that uses QT can easily integrate with WebKit. And um, Epiphany, which is the GNOME browser, other than Firefox, is also dropping their Gecko backend for WebKit only. Well... WebKit is really good for standards compliance. I know that's one of the absolute best for passing the various ACID tests out there for a browser. But that being said, it tends to be shit for practical use of the web. Major websites, guess what, aren't standards compliant most of the time. And so you'll find it just doesn't work in Safari or Conqueror. And if you think you're missing plugins and features in Opera... Just wait till you fire up Conqueror and you'll be yanking your hair out. The only way to block ads with Conqueror is to run Privoxy and then run a filter on the proxy. <laughs> Actually, that is very incorrect because... Oh, they got a new I one? I have... Uh, in Conqueror 3, and I have it installed right now, I have an ad block. But uh, frankly, for Conqueror, I think Conqueror's on the way to dying a slow painful death. It's the, the file manager has been replaced by Dolphin, or whatever. I think it's Dolphin, right? And KDE4. Yeah, sure and and really, I mean, I get several million hits on one of my websites, and when I go and I look at the back-end statistics, more people are using a PDA than are coming in off Conqueror. I mean, it, there's like nobody out there using it. Well, right now, at least according to my Debian Conqueror, by default, again, at least in Debian, it um, claims that it's Gecko. Yeah, I, I think really that, that Conqueror and probably Epiphany too, because GNOME is using Firefox now for the default browser, right? It's all integrated in the uh, system. and Yeah, it's all integrated, but it's still, um, still crap. Epiphany by default. I, I know that for for sure Conqueror is is probably going to end up dying a very slow death. I mean, I I really see that um, if anything, the KDE guys will probably just go and add browser capabilities to Dolphin, or or add like a drop in because you can take Opera or Firefox now and through their various APIs, you can with a button drop in an embedded window that's really Opera or Firefox but as, if, as far as you would know using Dolphin it would look like that was Dolphin itself. Right. Using kind of, you know, it kind of sandboxes them. Yeah. Sort of. I forget the specific but, name. I think for Firefox it's like Zool Runner or something like that. I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, but, also uh, the problem with Opera though is like Firefox, there is a separate XUL runner and Firefox. Like in, you know, Debian-based distros, XUL Runner does all the heavy lifting. Firefox is just the browser GUI. But with Opera, Opera is Opera is Opera. There, there yeah. is no separation between core and GUI. Correct. Which I don't 
really like that much. I think, yeah, I, I believe the API says you have to call Opera with some parameters or something, and it, yeah. it becomes more minimal and gets out of the way and so on. Oh, um, one thing I actually forgot to bring up, because this will happen when you're doing a podcast for anyone who's thinking about doing a podcast themselves. <laughs> you will forget things, but since we're a laid-back show, I'll bring it up now. Um, one of the things that makes me kind of great for this podcast or that will help make this podcast great is even just recently I've used pretty much every distro that you can possibly think of <laughs> it isn't just like Debian with you know Arabic language support you know I've used uh, CentOS Fedora Red Hat Enterprise SUS uh, you know Slackware Gen2 Arch Linux the list goes on. I'll, we'll save it for when we review Seuss, but I'll go ahead and throw it out there. I really, really love some of the features that's in at least OpenSUSE. Um, Yast, I love it. Um, I'm just wondering why in the hell they're still stuck in 2003 where you have to download four, six, eight, however many, way too many CDs. Why not just one CD, even if you have to go and fetch stuff you're missing? Yeah, the package manager is still just as craptastic as every package manager was <laughs> in 2000. We'll have to save some of this for when we get to SUSE, since they just released SUSE 11. We'll have to sort of save some of our haste and see if they've corrected their ways. Yes. News, <laughs> SUSE 11 was released today. Yay, everyone's happy. No, they're not. <laughs> And the other major news thing we were wanting to cover was wine 1.0, 15 years in the making. That's not a bad age for a wine. No, that is not. That is not. Um, but wine I profess, 1.0 was finally released. I profess most of my use of wine is through cr- crossover office because it just makes it so easy and so ridiculously seamless. Right. I mean, that- installing Internet Explorer is one click. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's not that easy in wine. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> but, see, the thing is, is well, with wine, um, it just, they, they've they tried it, and they've gotten decent with it. They've got to make it fit more into native for everyone to be happier. Yes. If, if wine would simply... Um, present you with an easy GUI for programs that that work um, or programs that need known options to work because if you j- I mean Photoshop 7 is one of the classic examples because it works so very well in one um, but it requires a certain some some tweaks to get it really working and if you just run it with default wine it'll have some problems but in crossover they already have the tweak set and ready for you so it's it's seamless. It's it's a one click install again. If if Wine would just have a GUI that integrates nicely into KDE and GNOME, and has a basically a wizard that lets you install all the known applications um, with their special settings easily, it would it would just make it it'd be Nirvana. It'd be awesome. They'd have to do it not just for the Office software. But for the games too, because if I want to, right. I think if I'm going to pay for versions of Wine to run Windows software, I want to be able to get Sedega and Office in one. I don't want to have to go and pay a subscription for both. Exactly. 
Exactly. But see, what what I was referring to with wine things fitting natively is when you install an app in wine, it feels like you're running whatever app in window, you know, unless it's like full screen without any, you know, with a custom menu and not the typical Windows file edit whatever menu. Um, it looks like Windows 95. Although, hey, that's, that's not a bad thing compared to current, you know, versions of Windows. This is true, but I'd like it, I'd like it to look more like, you know, 2000 or XP, because at least that would, or, you know, make it fit my GTK or my KDE theme. Yeah, now that, that is probably a much nastier coding challenge um, than it probably seems on the face of it. Well, the thing is, Firefox that uses nasty JavaScript for all their code, they pull it off with surprisingly decent ability. And the downside is, you know, Firefox, they kind of say, this plays well in GNOME, it's okay in KDE, it'll suck if you're using XFC, or not XFC, it'll suck if you're using Fluxbox. Wine, Wine's a lot more, you know, it's not just one application, Firefox, it's every Windows application, so they have to make it work in everything. Yeah, well, and since you, like you mentioned earlier, you will forget things in a podcast, you've reminded me, the only real beef I have with Firefox 3 is that if you have Flash 10 beta, which, by the way, I love as a release because I can actually view Flash videos in full screen without it mugging my CPU, um... You know, and looking like you know stop motion animation uh, in what Firefox about, about? 3 with Flash 10, it crashes ridiculously often for me. Um, it, it's okay if you go one at a time, but if you open up a page that's got like six YouTube embeds in it, mm-hmm. it can become a problem. Just wondering for you know the sake of the audience, you mentioned that you know before full screening Flash makes it look like stop motion video. What happens if you are watching actual stop-motion video on YouTube? Well, if you're using Flash 9, it will only get worse. <laughs> um, like I said, my desktop say overclocked Pentium 4 at 3 and a third gigahertz, and a, a pretty decent NVIDIA 6600 GT. I mean, that setup is good enough to play Doom 3 maxed out, so we're not talking about, you know, you know, system, sisters of the poor integrated systems here. But... Yeah. Um, that isn't that wasn't enough in in Flash Nine. After I think it was like nine point point something point four seven, when they started playing around with GPU acceleration, and it became awful. Um, but that 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 machine couldn't play YouTube full screen at more than maybe ten frames a second. And and it's it's got to be something with what. Flash is doing because if you go and download the FLV file and pull it up and play it in M Player, even on a really slow machine, it's fine. It's totally fine. It's got to be the well, way they're rendering it out. Yeah, I, see, that's the thing. M Player is using XV. It's using um, XORG extensions to play it. Flash is doing 100% CPU rendering. And that's probably why it looks like ass, because the Flash <laughs> developers are lazy idiots, and they said, you know, let's not care about people, and let's just, you know, make one API so we only have to maintain one code 
that works on all three OSs. Oh, make no mistake about it. They are lazy. Um, the, I brought up my ThinkPad, and it's really crappy Pro Savage uh, GPU. And I, I do have working 3D acceleration on that, but um, the 3D acceleration comes in X. It's one of the direct rendering extensions for the, for they have for like Savage and some of the integrated Intel chips. And if you look at the GLX info output, it has some SGI strings in there. And the way Flash very uncleverly checks to see if you have proper 3D rendering is they check for the absence of SGI strings in GLX info. Because software rendering, software OpenGL, will have a whole bunch of SGI crap in there. So if you happen to have a GPU that is 3D accelerated through DRI with X, you're screwed even if you have fully working 3D just because they're too lazy at Adobe to do it properly. Also too lazy to release a 64-bit native of Flash to make it run maybe a little bit better on any system that's been made since 2005. I mean, you got to wonder what it will take to motivate them to make an actual release that doesn't suck to use in Apple and, and Mac OS, especially for a PowerPC version, or or for Linux, because if they keep screwing around like this, Silverlight is going to, you know, because think about it, Microsoft's already got 90% market leverage to play around with, and if they keep screwing the pooch here, we could have Silverlight replacing Flash, and we all know what Microsoft does when they become the standard, they stop playing with everybody else. True. But Silverlight, I played with um, Moonlight, which is the kind of monoified version of Silverlight. Yeah, it sucks about ten times worse than Flash <laughs> on Linux. You don't say a product from Microsoft that was then ported in .NET to Linux, and it sucks? I'm shocked. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, I think that about wraps it up in terms of the news we wanted to cover and um, telling you guys a little bit about us. And... Um, You'll definitely want to check out our next show, which will be sort of the, how would you call it, the skewering of Ubuntu? Yes, the skewering of Ubuntu, and perhaps the um, oral raping of John O'Bacon. Oh, no. No, not ear rape for you sick bastards out there. Oh, you've been listening to SourceCast. This was episode zero. Um, check out the website, SourceCast.org. Check out the forums. We're going to be putting a poll up there um, to see where you want to go with the show, what you think about things. Uh, we always value input. And uh, anything to take us out on? Up. Oh, you've been listening to SourceCast, and this is not John O'Bacon. And this is also not John O'Bacon. See you later, guys. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Hack the Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.